The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to advance the Lordship of Christ, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Good afternoon, hello, and welcome to Unbelievable. With me, Justin Briley, it's the programme that brings Christians and non-Christians together every week for dialogues, debates and conversations that matter. Part of Faith Explored every Saturday here on Premier Christian Radio and available across the world via podcast. Many people download it every week. PremierChristianRadio.com slash unbelievable to find out more. Uh, later on today, you can hear the profile as well, straight after Unbelievable, four till five. Uh, best-selling DJ Moby talks about his unusual Christian faith. And Fires Muhammad will also be on the show this week, talking about his conversion from uh, Islam to Christianity. That's both with Sam Hales this afternoon. Uh, if you want to find out more about Unbelievable, the conference 2017, only five weeks to go till we're gathered together with hundreds of people to look at some of the most important questions in life and how we can share cogently, coherently and persuasively our Christian faith with others. Uh, this year's conference is called Why Christ? Discover How Jesus is the Answer to Life, the Universe and Everything. Happening on Saturday the 13th of May, I'm going to be joined by people like John Lennox, Andy Bannister, Beth Grove, Sarah Foster, Jeremiah J. Johnston, Carrie Summers, Tim Smith, Jamie Cuttridge, Ruth Jackson, many more besides as we host a whole day of seminars, topics, conversations, Q&A and I'll be presenting on my forthcoming book, Unbelievable, Why After 10 Years of Talking with Atheists, I'm Still a Christian. First time I'll actually have had a proper speaking role at my own conference, which I'm excited about. So if you're able to book in, uh, we can send you flyers as well, by the way. I'm, I've got a bunch of flyers on my desk. If you want to get hold of some flyers for your local church, do email in unbelievable at premier.org.uk. But a little bit later on, I'll be uh, playing out the audio of a, a recent video we've put up promoting the conference. And if you want to book in, you know the place to go, premier.org.uk slash why Christ? Okay, time to get into today's program. You're unbelievable. Well, today on the program, we're debating gay cakes and transgender pronouns and asking, are Christians free to express their faith in the public sphere? Well, the, the Reverend Dr. Joseph Boot is the founding pastor of Westminster Chapel in Toronto. Uh, he's also the person, the director behind the Wilberforce Academy for Christian Concern in London. And he's over here in the UK, his native UK, because he is actually a Brit, um, for a conference on Saturday the 22nd of April this year, Our God Reigns. Uh, he'll tell us a little bit about that in due course. Uh, one of the focal points of the conference is how Christians can live their faith in the wider world when... Perhaps their views on family, sexuality and ethics conflict with the wider culture and even the law of the land. Well, Terry Sanderson is president of the National Secular Society. He's a leading secularist and gay rights activist. He's in conversation with Joe today on some specific areas where some Christians claim their right to express their faith is being marginalised in an increasingly secular society. So we're going to be discussing things like the so-called gay cake case of Ashes Bakery in Northern Ireland. There's also been the recent case of a Christian couple refused the right to adopt the children they fostered because of their views on gay marriage. And of course, sensitivities continue around transgender rights. Um, back in Joe's home city of Toronto, Canada, there's been the recent case of a university professor, Dr. Jordan Peterson, who's refused to bow to pressure to use gender-neutral pronouns. 
for people who request it. And he's received a backlash as well. So we're opening up these sorts of topics and asking where is the line for Christians who want to contribute to society but who may feel their beliefs and activities are being labelled as bigoted. Um, so uh, we, we're looking forward to this discussion. Certainly, my Facebook feed is constantly filled with these sorts of issues. It may just be the circles I move in, but uh, very, very much something that seems to be, as far as I can see, on the rise. Uh, Christians who claim that they're being marginalised and people on the other side who say, no, Christians need to understand they don't you know, wield the power they once did and so on. Um, looking forward to the discussion here, gentlemen. Joe, um, perhaps we'll come to you first as a, a newcomer to Unbelievable. Um, you're a Brit, uh, but you you live in Canada now. Is that correct? Yes, I've been in uh, Canada about uh, 14 years now, but grew up, uh, was born in, in London area and grew up in uh, the West Country in uh, Wiltshire and uh, studied in Birmingham and uh, later in Nottingham and Manchester and lived for a season in both Oxford and London before uh, moving with my family to Toronto where I was uh, involved uh, first of all primarily in the work of Christian apologetics mm-hmm. and uh, debates and uh, uh, discussions and, and writing and so on and so forth and then uh, uh, church planting and, and developing um, a Christian school and uh, uh, further work in cultural apologetics. Mm. And I'm backwards and forwards now to the UK um, quite a bit. Well, it's great to have you here. Maybe at some point we will get you on the subject of Christian apologetics, uh, as we do a lot of that, of course, here on Unbelievable. But today um, you're talking about these sort of sociological issues and how Christians should um, act and be in the world when there are obviously points of tension. Um that's partly what the conference that you're speaking mm-hmm. at is about. Do you want to just give a brief rundown of what uh, the conference, which is called Our God Reigns, is going to be about? Sure. So we're looking at things like uh, the family and um, the church uh, and um, our relationship to the world as Christians um, and uh, what that uh, really means for our culture today. Uh, we would take it as a, as a sort of basic axiom that um, culture is the public manifestation of religion. Uh, you go to Saudi Arabia, you experience Islamic culture. In much of India, you experience Hindu culture. Uh, you used to come to the West and you would have experienced a broadly uh, Christian culture. So in that sense, the uh, the Christian gospel does form and shape culture. But uh, in, the, in the conference, we're addressing the fact that really Christians have increasingly privatized their faith, partly because of uh, pressures around them. Um, self-censorship and all these sorts of things but we've limited the scope of the faith increasingly uh, uh, to uh, our, one's own heart and to the personal sphere and that's actually called forth more and more the existence of the secular that is uh, the secular going being autonomous going its own way because we no longer believe that uh, the gospel applies to these other areas of life and so we're talking about the fact that we as believers hold a lot of responsibility actually for uh, the way things are today in terms of our own abandonment of some of the core truths of the gospel that need to be um, restated mm. and believed. Well, uh, if you you want more info on that, um, it's uh, being put on uh, by Christian Concern and Emmanuel Church in Southgate, North London. Uh, more information at the websites of those places, Christian Concern. Uh, and um, uh, our other guest on the programme today is uh, going to be Terry Sanderson. Terry, welcome back to the programme. Hello, uh, you've uh, you've been involved in a few discussions now over yes. the years here here on this program, um, but for those who aren't aware of the National Secular Society, in in a nutshell, what do you guys exist for? We exist to ensure that the church and the state is separate, and that religion is respected, and Christians and Muslims and Hindus and Jews all have exactly the same rights as everybody else, 
no more, no less. And I think where the, the clash comes is when Christians want more rights than everybody else. They want mm. to have special treatment in the law. And that's when we get a bit agitated and start to uh, have to fight back, I'm afraid. Well, look, we're going to be talking about some of these specific issues that have uh, caused those kinds of points of tension, certainly over the last year or two here in the UK. Uh, and we'll, we'll look at a case from Canada as well. Um, I mean, I don't know whether you get the sense that the, the number of cases where this is happening is is increasing. Um, and is that simply because, in, in your view, Terry, Christians are, are having to learn to cope with the loss of a kind of certain, I, I guess, privileges they once enjoyed? Well, certainly that, but that's not the basis of these cases. Um, I've followed them very closely over the last 10 years, mm. and almost all of them have originated from the Christian Legal Centre, and they've all failed, every single one of them. And they haven't failed because the judiciary is anti-Christian. They failed because they have no merit. The claims that were made uh, by the people the CLC was representing just weren't true. They, they, they turned out, when examined by a court, not to be true. OK, well, well, we'll look at some of these ones that are ongoing at this point and uh, and see what you both have to say about them uh, if you'd like to get in touch with your point of view on anything you hear today i'd be interested to hear from you we don't often cover issues like this on unbelievable specifically cultural ethical issues but i think an important time to maybe sit down and and talk about them today so uh, do email in your thoughts unbelievable at premier.org.uk you can also of course find us on facebook and twitter and get in touch that way uh, follow what's happening on the show as well via those social media sites at Unbelievable JB for the Twitter account, facebook.com slash Unbelievable JB to follow the show on Facebook. All of those links and more, plus links to my guest today, the podcast, more features, and all sorts of other stuff from the Unbelievable webpage. Go to premierchristianradio.com slash Unbelievable. Unbelievable with Justin Brierley. Well, today we're debating issues like gay cakes and transgender pronouns. Uh, going to squeeze in as much as we can today as we ask, are Christians free to express their faith in the public sphere? There's been uh, a lot of points of tension between Christians who claim that they're being marginalised or being labelled as bigoted in uh, today's society because of their wish to express certain points of view and so on. Um, and uh, we've got Joe Boot and Terry Sanderson here in the studio with me. Joe is the founding pastor of Westminster Chapel in Toronto. He's contributing to the uh, Our God Reigns conference coming up in sa on Saturday, the 22nd of April. Um, Terry Sanderson from National Secular Society here as well. And I, I thought um, we could discuss a few actual cases over the course of the programme to see how you both see these differently and what general principles we can draw out from that. Um, so without further ado, let's talk about um, the one that's really been a big deal in the last year or two here in the UK, the Ashes Bakery gay cake case. Now, um, gay marriage isn't yet legal in Northern Ireland, but in 2014, the Christian owners of Ashes Bakery in Belfast, Daniel and Amy MacArthur, refused to bake a cake bearing the words support gay marriage. It was requested by a gay rights activist, Gareth Lee. Well, he won a discrimination case against the bakery, prosecuted through the Northern Ireland Equality Commission. Now, they insisted, the, uh, the MacArthur's, that they didn't discriminate against Mr Lee on the basis of his sexuality. Indeed, they'd served him before, but that their Christian conscience 
couldn't allow them to bake a cake with a message supporting the campaign for gay marriage. And uh, last autumn, the Christian couple who run the bakery lost a High Court appeal to overturn that ruling. It was supported in the High Court. Uh, it has had a mixed response, though. One unlikely advocate for the MacArthur's has been the high-profile gay rights activist Peter Tatchell, who says that despite disagreeing with their stance, he believes their rights to freedom of expression should be upheld. So um, it's not necessarily a, a simple case, though obviously uh, in the end uh, they may be taking it to, to uh, a higher court again the European Court of Human Rights. But um, uh, at this point, the, the judges have ruled that they did discriminate against an individual and their sexuality. Um, uh, Terry, do you agree with, with the, the judgment the courts have made in this Absolutely. case? Absolutely. I've looked at it very carefully. And I was at first seduced by this idea that uh, freedom of expression was at stake and that they should be able to say precisely what they like. But it, it's not as simple as that. Uh, Asher's Bakery is a limited company, it's a corporate body, it's not an individual, therefore it can't have human rights. I mean, they even admit themselves that some of their staff aren't Christian. So the, the court ruled that it was a business for profit and not a, a religious organisation, and thereby it was bound by the equality law. And the equality law says that if you're a business, you have to, or you provide services, you have to provide them in the same way to everybody. And you can't discriminate. Um, if you allowed uh, corporate bodies to have human rights or to be excluded from the equality legislation, you know, the judge said it in his, his summing up, you know, the, 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 the ability for arbitrary discrimination would be endless. You know, you, you could just say, it's my religious conscience speaking, and I don't want to give this service. And we would be down a very slippery slope not just with gay rights, but, you know, people who perhaps don't like mixed marriages or something like that because of their religious conscience could say, I don't want to serve people in mixed marriages or people who aren't married or living together or unmarried mothers or whatever their beef is uh, on religious grounds. So it, it is it is slippery slope, and I think the judge made the right call in this. But there are other issues involved as well about um, whether the this these bakers would have baked a cake for, say, a straight couple who wanted just to, say, support marriage mm. and leave the gay out. And they would have baked that, but they wouldn't bake the other cake. So there was discrimination. OK. Joe, well, you, you're obviously out in Canada most of mm -hmm. the time, but I'm, I think this case has come across your newsfeed as well. So, sure. so what's been your response to this case? Well, this is an example, I think, of the new tolerance, which will not tolerate uh, wrong, in inverted commas, words, um, or wrong thoughts. And um, it wants to stop images and it wants to stop words and it wants to stop actions that don't uh, go along with the current political correctness. And I actually think that Peter Tatchell and actually others, uh, gentlemen writing, also a homosexual man writing in the Telegraph, totally disagreed um, with the court's decision and... Uh, queer space, I think it's called the and the man who brought Gareth Lee, who brought the uh, uh, who brought the case against the Ashes. Um, I don't uh, disagree that much with Terry's interpretation of the equalities legislation, um, but the equalities legislation is wrong, and the reason and that's really the argument that's being made here. And uh, fundamentally, liberty, if we want liberty, liberty means inequality. 
Now, these uh, Gramskyites, these people who are followers of either Herbert Marcuse, these 20th century radicals, and Antonio Gramsci, the Italian uh, revisionist, which is where these ideas come from, whether people appreciate it or not. What they are against fundamentally is um, uh, all hierarchies, right? The, 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 the Christian world or Christendom or, or Western civilization is seen as fundamentally oppressive. And if you are, belong to that group, you are an oppressor. Mm. And uh, the, oppre- the oppressor must now become the oppressed. This is a, this is an, um, a, a sort of inverse uh, tolerance, if you will, and, uh, 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 an inability now. This tolerance will not tolerate words that are wrong. It won't tolerate thoughts that are wrong. And I think that Peter Tatchell had the courage of his convictions to say, well, what if a Jewish bakery is asked to make a pro-Nazi cake? Or what about, um, what about a Muslim bakery? I find it very interesting, actually, that um, these uh, gay uh, lobbyists, these organisations, identify these Christian companies or Christian individuals or Christian groups. Uh, I would like to see one of these groups go and find an Islamic bakery in Bradford, an Islamic bakery in Leicester, and see how they get on forcing an is uh, a muslim business owner producing a political slogan which is what this was using two characters from sesame street which children watch a political slogan and force them under pain of law to promote their political program and i tell you justin it wouldn't happen and the reason it wouldn't happen is because they'd be absolutely terrified to offend any muslim They'd be terrified of offending the Islamic community because they know that there would be consequences and there might be dangerous personal consequences. Right. So this is, to my mind, uh, this is fundamentally an issue of liberty and freedom of conscience, which is something actually that was bequeathed to us by Christianity in the West, not pagan statism that Terry advocates. All right, Terry, we, the fight's on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'd like, I'd like to know what Joe... Um, defines as religious liberty what does it consist of does it consist of being able to take other people's rights away well we'd first of all we'd have to discuss uh, we'd have to discuss rights no religious liberty the origin of religious liberty is this in the pagan humanistic world the christian church was born that ancient world there was no such thing as liberty you were a political animal everything was controlled by the state as in theocracies uh, no as in uh, as, as in, in the as in the greco-roman world which yeah. was a humanistic world no, it was the- to- it was it was totalitarian okay of course now the church broke the monopoly became- of statism and that's where you get your actual idea, by the way, of a separation of church and state. You get that from Christianity. Christianity separated itself from the state and said, this is independent. Now, with Protestantism, Protestantism that led to freedom of conscience, uh, where within, the, within Christian circles, then you had the free, freedom of conscience and the birth of personal or individual liberties and a zone of privacy around the individual so that you couldn't be dictated to. Now, you said at the beginning of this interview that Britain, uh, we are, you're concerned with separation of church and state. Have you read the coronation oath of our queen? Yes, I have. Right, and you know that bishops sit in the House of Lords. I know. Now, even though in terms of structural pluralism, I do agree that church and state are separate because that actually gives us the idea of individual liberty, that doesn't separate all, all religion from various parts of life. It may... St- structurally separate so that vicars don't dictate the the life of the state or sit as judges in courts and i agree with that and i think that was a mistake of medieval christendom in part um but it doesn't separate the fact that 
all of us, you've got your convictions. You're a humanist, I think, no. uh, or a <laughs> secularist. Yes. Um, but that's not, that's not a belief. Of course it is. The, it's a, it's the, a political system. The Humanist Manifesto too defines humanism. I don't care as a about humanism. I'm not a humanist. <laughs> what are you? Then? I'm not. I'm not going to define myself at all. I'm. I'm just happy to be me, and I'm not going to say I'm a humanist. I am a secularist, but a secularist is not a belief system. It's. It's a, a method of structuring uh, society to keep everybody uh, happy and, and equal by separating the church or religion from the state. And yeah, that's, that's all based on a philosophy. That's based on a philosophical well, understanding maybe, maybe of reality, maybe. which means it's a belief system. You have no, a worldview. No, no. You have a worldview, right? You believe that there was matter in motion and now we're all oh, here. Of course, yes. Right? Yes. So you don't believe in creation or a design plan, is no, what I'm saying. No. Okay. In which case you have a... Until you, somebody you, produces the evidence for it. Uh, well, uh, let's not get into <laughs> theology, please. Well, well look, this is what lies at the root of well, it. Well, let, let, let's come back to... Okay, so for you, uh, Joe, you say the problem is that there's been this... The pendulum has swung in the other direction, if you like, and now Christians once seen as the oppressors are now there's somehow a sort of well now they have to take their own medicine and, and mm -hmm. kind of be oppressed and and you're saying this effectively is resulting in christian right of conscience being uh, if you like trampled on in the case of in fact of, not of, but not just christians you know we we haven't uh, got gone to jordan uh, peterson yet well, we'll in come to him later but i, I but he's I, a non-christian yeah, having his rights well, well we'll, we'll is, talk about him i i mean that's why some of these gay uh, um, uh, activists, by the way, like Peter Tatchell, are concerned about this yeah. uh, because they actually recognise there's a broader conscience issue here than simply I mean, I mean, Christians. One of, one of the issues that Joe raised there, Terry, is why you know are Christians being sort of focused upon, uh, whereas you won't find um, this. You know, you, you, what would happen if, say, a Jewish bakery was asked to uh, bake something that they found offensive, or indeed. Uh, a Muslim bakery was asked to bake a picture of the Prophet Muhammad. Now, or a pork chop, uh, or, or whatever it is. Yes, I, I mean, can, can I just say that that in all of these cases, absolutely everyone, the case has been lost in court because there was no discrimination, there was no persecution. Um, you, you know, this uh, Christian Legal Centre, they bring these cases, they put out a press release giving a totally uh, one-sided, lopsided, partial account of what's happened, knowing full well that the public authorities that they're attacking will not be able to respond until they get to court. When it gets to court, the whole truth comes out, there is no discrimination, the case is thrown out, the newspapers have lost interest. And I have to say that Premier Christian Radio is part of that. They've, they've created this myth, almost entirely generated by Andrea Williams of the Christian Legal Centre, that there is persecution, and it does not stand up to examination. Well, why are, in that sense, and I, I would be expecting people like Peter Tatchell to be applauding you but they're not they they obviously in feel this there particular is, case in this he, particular he, case he reads feel... this case which is very very complicated the ashes case as a, a matter of freedom of speech and i've worked with peter and the christian institute to to get the law changed the, the public order act changed so that people like street preachers can 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 go about their business without interference and we manage that together I, I'm a great supporter of free speech, but in these cases, it's not the case. And in the so, Ashes case... So you case, think he's misinterpreted this one? I think so, and I think he realises it too, because I was at an event with him the other, the other night, and, and I said, you know, are you, are you happy uh, with, with what, you've, what you've said about this? Because originally he supported the, mm. the, 
the people who brought this case, right. and, and then he changed then his changed mind. mind. But he he he, he completely misinterpreted, it, I think, and you, I think, he, think he realizes yeah. that now. Well, I, I mean, obviously, you see this as sort of it's about an, uh, a limited company being a, being asked to produce a particular message. Do you believe any limited company, any anyone providing a public service in that way, should have to, the owners of said company, should be required to produce whatever type of, you know, because I can imagine a, a Christian printer, for instance, not giving, um, accepting contracts for porn- pornography, yeah. for instance, yeah. even though it's perfectly legal to do that. Yeah. Now, is that, are they committing the same? Well, Ashes have, have accepted that if they had not produced cakes with any message at all, they would not have. And they're not doing that now. They're just producing plain birthday cakes. They're not having messages on their cakes. And that will keep them out of trouble. They, they, but, they will but possibly... at the same time, you know, a, a Christian printer obviously has to be able to provide all kinds of messages on their printing. But is, uh, should they be made to take well, if any, they, if any they type of... Well, if they said at the beginning, we don't print pornography... They don't take the order. I mean, Ash has took the order and then said, we don't want to do it. OK, on, on reflection, having had a chance yeah. to consider it, they decided not to. So would that would that have been fair enough then if they had said from the outset, we will not? If every, um, yes, yes. And it was that was true also in the case of the, the Bulls in with their hotel where they refused accommodation to gay people because they don't. It was against their principles. And. Again, they were they were a company. There weren't two individuals. They can say what they like about gay people in their private lives, but if they set up a company and and say we're providing services to the public, they cannot say who. It still seems to me, though, that as far as my reading of the judgment is concerned, the judge was saying they discriminated against Mr. Lee on the basis of his sexuality. And it would appear to me that it's obvious that they would have rejected that message if it had been a, a heterosexual person asking for it. So... I still don't. I personally don't understand this. Ruling. Yeah, yeah. It seems a bit. Yeah. Well, I've I have got the the judgment. I find the bit that that uh, reflects that. But I think uh, on the general principle of these cases of people claiming to be discriminated against on basis of their faith, that there was Gary McFarlane, you know, the chap who worked for Relate, the Marriage Guidance Council, who refused to give counselling to gay couples, uh, and they sacked him because they have an equal opportunities policy. And in that case, he took it to the High Court eventually, or the Christian Legal Centre did. And the judge gave the definitive statement on that case. And he said, we do not, and this is Lord Justice Laws, who is a Christian himself, a very, a very heavy practicing Christian. And he said, we do not live in a society where all people share uniform religious beliefs. The precepts of any one religion, any belief system, cannot by force of their religious origins sound any louder in the general law than the precepts of any other. If they did, those out in the cold would be less than citizens and our constitution would be on the way to theocracy, which is of necessity autocratic. Now, that was a definitive statement and it has been called forward in a lot of the other cases. Okay. Joe, do you want to respond to well, any I of these think points? It's, uh, it's, there's so much nonsense there that, uh, first of all, I, you know, I'm going to defend Andrea Williams and the Christian Legal Centre and and, uh, and say that, um, that they haven't lost every case. In fact, one case went all the way to the uh, European Court of Human Rights concerning the woman who was not allowed to wear a cross at work. 
Uh, and it took a Polish former communist to realise that the cross was, in fact, a Christian symbol and they had been discriminated against. No, that's so, not true. So, not true. Um, so, so, so the fact is, is that um, you're not part, actually, Terry, as, as I understand it, of a Christian community that feels this pinch or feels this squeeze. And, no, and, nobody else does either. And it's, not and in this country. And it's people who contact the Christian Legal Centre who are asking for help. Christians who are dismissed or suspended from their jobs for praying with somebody at work. And that's not the whole story. I'm them, sorry, you're falling for, for the propaganda. Forgiving, the, forgiving them a book. And uh, what you're talking about here is this totalitarian creep. When you start nonsense. dictating Absolute to people... nonsense. When you start dictating to people what they can think, what they can say, what pronouns they can use, what cakes they must bake with what message... That is totalitarian authoritarianism, and it's you who wants to impose nonsense. your worldview on everybody else. We're, That's the logic of this, well, and it's, in fact, it's obvious to ordinary people. We're going to go to a break, and uh, it's getting heated here in the studio, <laughs> a lively edition of the programme. As we look at gay cakes, uh, we'll come on to transgender pronouns in due course as well. Uh, are Christians free to express their faith in the public sphere? Uh, Joe Boot, founding pastor of Westminster Chapel in Toronto, speaking at the forthcoming coming Our God Reigns conference is uh, on one side and on the other Terry Sanderson from the National Secular Society. Hope you can stay with us right through till four o'clock this afternoon. We'll be back in a moment's time. In 1927, world-famous atheist Bertrand Russell wrote the best-selling book, Why I Am Not a Christian. Now, 90 years later, it's time to tell the world why you are. Join me, Justin Briley, at Unbelievable The Conference in London on Saturday the 13th of May. Discover why Russell was wrong and why Christ is the answer to life, the universe and everything. With John Lennox, Andy Bannister, Beth Grove and partners the Christian Thinkers Society and Museum of the Bible. Plus, I'll be launching my new book, Unbelievable, Why After 10 Years of Talking with Atheists, I'm Still a Christian. Book now at premier.org.uk slash whychrist. You're listening to Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to Unbelievable. Uh, don't forget, uh, you can get in touch with today's show. If you enjoy hearing these kinds of discussions, you can find more of them as well online at premierchristianradio.com slash unbelievable. You can leave a comment underneath today's program. Uh, do it that way. You can email me, unbelievable, at premier.org.uk. Uh, you can get in touch via our social media, uh, at unbelievablejb for the Twitter, facebook.com slash unbelievablejb for the Facebook page of Unbelievable. And uh, we'll be hearing some of your feedback uh, towards the end of today's program, uh, hearing what you had to say about recent editions of the show. And straight after Unbelievable, the profile is here. We'll be talking to another Christian in some walk of life about their faith journey. Uh, today on the programme, uh, we're talking about gay cakes and transgender pronouns. We've already had a bit of discussion around the Ashes Bakery gay cake case, and um, they're continuing to fight the decision that, that went against them in the High Court last autumn uh, concerning uh, the, the whole controversy over whether they were right to refuse a customer uh, the, the baking of a cake supporting gay marriage. Well, um, that decision went against them, and uh, we'll see what the next round of that may hold. But um, uh, here in the studio, Terry Sanders says that was the right, the right decision. Uh, not everyone has agreed with that, but um, certainly not Joe Boot, who's uh, one of our guests on the program today. And de gentlemen, we've been talking about the, um, you know, that particular case, but this has manifest itself in all kinds of different ways. And I think sexuality, family, and so on 
is one of the key crunch points. It's it's case here in the UK. In the US, there are all kinds of similar cases. In fact, I think there's, there's, has been they've had their own gay case as well. Um, and um, uh, recently, there was uh, also the story. These things do move on, of course. But um, there was the story of a Christian couple prevented from attempts to adopt two foster children they had been caring for after making comments that children required a mummy and a daddy as an alternative to same-sex parents. Um, this was uh, I'm going to quote here from the story that. Uh, our own station, Premier Christian Radio, carried on it. Um, the anonymous couple were told by social services that their request will not be considered because of their concerning opinions on same-sex parenting. Uh, the couple wrote to their local council. That was uh, see- a letter seen by the Sunday Times saying they had not expressed homophobic views unless Christian beliefs are, by definition, homophobic. Uh, their letter went on, we are Christians and we expressed the view that a child needs a mother and father. We love everyone, regardless of sexual orientation, and we love the children and believe that they would benefit from the foundation offered by a mother and a father, it said. Now, the case came to light after uh, a gay couple were put forward to adopt the foster children. Uh, The Christian foster carers expressed a degree of shock and asked if this was a joke, according to their letter. After the male couple applied to adopt the children, uh, the Christian couple put in a request to adopt them as well. Uh, The council told the couple that their opinions were concerning and could be detrimental to the long-term needs of the children. So that's just some of the details from this particular case. Uh, The most reason we heard on this is that the council has actually agreed to reconsider the ban on the Christian couple adopting the children, but we've yet to see what happens on that front. Um, Okay, Um, I'll start with you this time, Joe. Um, For you, um, is this what you're talking about when it comes to the state now telling Christians what they're allowed to think as well as Mm -hmm. um, do in the public sphere? Yeah, it's another very good example, and there are so many. Um, that are seen not just here but in Canada and in the United States, uh, where, where Christians are being brought now really into the heresy courts of the modern state. These are these are basically you're a heretic. You've spoke you're, you're you're thinking and speaking outside of what is politically correct. This is in terms of the philosophy of cultural Marxism, and uh, in fact, in some respects, uh, we, we're seeing we are seeing ordinary people pushing back against this neoliberal agenda. We've seen two elections, one in Britain, one in the United States, where um, a progressivist agenda by, is being rejected by a lot of ordinary people who are sick and tired of being told. This is what you must think. This is what you must say. This is how you must act. And you must use these words and pretend that this is the new normal. Uh, that, that, and what was actually considered common sense and ordinary ideas about, for example, family life or marriage or human sexuality. Those are, in fact, abnormal ideas. And your, and, and your ideas are, in fact, detrimental, perhaps, even to the long-term uh, health of the child. So... Um, the simple fact is, Justin, you know, what we've heard already from Terry today is that we, this is just about treating everything and everybody equally, about Muslims and him, uh, Hindus and secularists and Christians all being given absolutely equal treatment. But it isn't. I would ask Terry, is Sharia law equal to English common law? Is in Hinduism the caste system as a social order equal to English common law. Uh, and that fundamentally here is is what... This, it, it, things aren't all equal. He, he wants to talk about equality as almost like a moral premise, although he has no actual ground to justify the idea of morality in his worldview. But, at the, but the basic idea is that the, the new morality, this must be 
uh, enforced because this is a picture of equality. But the reality is these law systems, uh, different definitions of the family, different definitions of social order, are not all equal. And uh, I think you'd be hard put to find a Muslim cleric who'd come and sit in here and say that uh, Terry's views are equal to his views or that the Islamic view of the family is equal. Now, the reason I raise the uh, issue of Islam is not for a red herring. It's simply because I want to make the point that the radical left won't take on Islam. They're too afraid to. They're afraid of the pushback. But they will target uh, Christian people who they see to be quietest, vulnerable, potentially weak, and because they know they're not going to get this kind of violent reaction pushback that they might get from an Islamic community on issues like this. Okay, Terry, your turn. Right. Well, just to answer that question about the law and Sharia law and so forth, we're heavily involved at the moment in a, a campaign called One Law for All, which is trying to curtail if not dismantle entirely the Sharia courts that are operating in this country. So everything's not equal? No, that's certainly not. For these women who go to Sharia courts, they're, they're given very, very unequal treatment. They're, um, they have their children taken away from them. They have to ask for a divorce. Their husbands don't have to ask for a divorce. We think that British secular law is superior in every way to that and to Jewish uh, religious law and to canon law. All these things must be subservient to the law to of the land, to law of the land law. that has developed. Ah, interesting. That has developed over hundreds and hundreds of years, yeah, thousands that was of Christian years. Christian law, English common law, used to be called that, but a lot yeah. of Christian, with Christian law in the Ten Commandments. A lot of Christian law has been repealed. But anyway, that's that's a different issue. Actually, what I wanted to say the about the, the 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 couple, the the adoption yeah. case that you've just been talking about. Mm. Um, I would like to see how your story on Christian Premier uh, website mm. compares with Andrea Williams' uh, press release on the issue. Because in every one of these instances, Andrea puts out a press release, the Daily Mail and the Daily Telegraph, and I have to say Christian Premier Radio, pub, uh, publish it almost verbatim. Well, and, think, then, think, well, and then uh, later on, we that, uh, yes, they are in. Uh, they What's do the do it then? because it's it's not true. And when it comes to court, we find the court well, says we we, no, we, we, we do um, aim to re represent different points of view on on all of these stories. Yes, you so, do, so but so you, you haven't, got, any, you haven't got an alternative point of view on this story because the well, the, you're on now, aren't you? the council. <laughs> I'm not speaking for the council who are under attack on this. I suspect I suspect Camp Premier have. Attempted to contact they are to, not to, allowed to because, the because of confidentiality yeah. right. to say anything, sure. and that's where well, obviously Andrew we, Williams we, we, loves we to get represent the, the the story as far as we're we're given it um, uh, and the details By that we Andrea. have, uh, and of course um, we're very happy to point, put the counterpoints yeah. of you when they become available. And well, so on. I hope but, you will follow yeah. that through to the end because I'm sure there is more to it than is being told at the moment. Clearly, there is there is some there's more to it. There always is more to it, and I wish I could take you through all these cases. One by do, one, do, and show you them. Okay, let's. I've been we we don't know. We, we don't concern. know all of the details. Let's say of this case. So I'm working off a new story here. But um, the general principle, Terry. Do you think that parents who don't believe that same-sex relationships are morally good, uh, they're certainly morally equal to heterosexual marriage, um, that they should be allowed to adopt children? Yes, of course. Okay. But if there is something else, I mean, I, I noticed that there was a little mention somewhere that their house wasn't big enough for these children and this kind of thing. These are the kind of things that come out in court later. 
that are not told at the beginning. Okay. Who knows what, yeah, what, what exactly. may, may come out. But, but, but the gen, on the general principle, the, the if, general they was, principle. if they were being stopped from adopting children because they held the view that same-sex marriage was not uh, was not equivalent what, what to... what else that led to, because we've, we've had a similar case to this. Um, Owen and Eunice Johns, who, who were also denied the right to uh, adopt children they were fostering. And when it came to full examination of the facts they were wanting that the, the kids were out of control they couldn't they couldn't care for them properly and they were even talking about having an exorcism for one of them now when you get to that that sort of state i think it's it's right that social workers should say is this the right place for these children so let's have the full story before we we jump to the conclusion that there's discrimination yeah but this, this it just seems to me this is clearly not the case here it was what was it's said to it, it, it was that no, i'm saying that what you're saying is not correct on this that the issue here with the adoption was that they expressed Concern. They were. All, if their house wasn't big enough, why were they allowed to foster these two children while they already had two I children? I don't know. Well, exactly. You don't know either. Yeah, but the point is that is the fact of the case. They were being fostered. You and, don't know that's uh, the fact of the case. That's Andrea Williams has no, told you it's the fact look, of the case. Look, this this discussion today is not about your vindictiveness towards Andrea Williams or but any given individual. She is individual. the whole source of this, this myth. She's built it almost single-handedly. So, so, so you can you can believe that sort of propaganda if you want, but no, the point is, is that there were foster children placed by the council with these parents. Obviously, the house was big enough. When they expressed concern, especially for the little girl that she wouldn't have a mum, which she'd been led to expect that she should have, by those foster parents, they then offered to adopt. And you're absolutely. And the council then expressed concern that these views might be detrimental in the end to those children because it's singing from the cultural Marxist playbook and the playbook of Antonio Gramsci, which you are doing here today. Well, and I would sure challenge every listener to go and actually look into this so you get just where these ideas are coming from. Let's have the full from. facts, not just half the story. You don't know what's gone on in that house. There might be all kinds of things that we aren't told about yet. Not until look, it's justice is people, in open People who court. work for the council and people who sit on justice benches are not themselves purely neutral, unmotivated by all kinds of concerns. They, they can they by have law their get own the agenda, facts. and they were educated in modern oh, well, progressivist well, institutions. If the, if the justice system is the, also the, anti-Christian, the, no, the, we're lost. Well, actually it is. Yes, increasingly, okay, there's nowhere else to go. Well, equalities, to go legislation, equalities legislation, which even some of these homosexual activists are saying, should be gotten rid of because it is Ludicrous. fundamentally I, I discriminatory. I don't know of any. It's... Well, <laughs> they've been writing in the Daily Telegraph. So. <laughs> Let's move on, gents, to to another issue. Um, and um, this one actually doesn't stem from a, a Christian at the centre of it. Um, but uh, because it was from your neck of the woods, uh, at least where you currently reside, Joe, I thought it would be an interesting one to throw in. It's been coming up on my Facebook feed in one form or another. Uh, it's uh, the story of the university professor in Canada, in Toronto, refusing to use gender-neutral pronouns. Um, now, I'm going to quote from the report the BBC put up on this, uh, saying a Canadian university professor has ignited controversy by refusing to use gender-neutral pronouns. Is he 
a villain or a victim, they ask. Uh, University of Toronto psychology professor Jordan Peterson had enough of what he saw as a campus culture where social justice warrior, left-wing radical political activist, his words, ran rampant. Uh, in September, he released a video lecture series taking aim at political correctness. He zeroed in on Canadian human rights legislation, prohibiting discrimination based on gender identity or expression. Dr. Peterson was especially frustrated with being asked to use alternative pronouns as requested by trans students or staff, like the singular they or they and zer used by some of the alternatives to she or he. Uh, in his opposition, he set off a political and cultural firestorm, shows no signs of abating. At a free speech rally in October, he was drowned out by a white noise machine. Pushing and shoving broke out in the crowd. He says the lock in his office door was glued shut. At the same time, the University of Toronto say it has received complaints of threats against trans people on campus and so on. Um, either way, Dr Peterson is not backing down. Uh, here are his words told to the BBC. I've studied authoritarianism for a very long time, for 40 years, and they started by people's attempts to control the ideological and linguistic territory there's no way I'm going to use words made up by people who are doing that, not a chance I think, uh, I chose this example because I, I think generally uh, and, and perhaps as you mentioned Joe this is part of why there has been a pushback that we've seen in some pretty dramatic election results in the past 12 months um, of people feeling like, this has all gone too far this is crazy, you know, I, I now have to use the particular pronoun that you uh, to all intents and purposes look to me like a man but you want to be called she or or they or something like that um okay where do you where do you sort of start off well, on I these kinds of issues here. with with Terry. people who who uh, are averse to change i mean I, I worked for a long time in social services looking after people with profound mental disabilities and there were some awful terms used when i first started out in that uh, awful terminology like mongol and cretin things like that, which were accepted. That, and they were hurtful, they were hateful, and they became terms of abuse. And um, I think it was right that now people are called people with Down syndrome or whatever the condition is, rather than these awful, hateful names. But we had to move along. We had to say, you know, this is cruel to call people these kinds of names. And now you can give them dignity uh, by by accepting that they, you know, they're people with a particular condition so the terminology had to change mm. and now you've got trans people coming trying to get their moment in the sun a, a, a minority a very small minority that has been persecuted really persecuted for a long long time and been in the shadows saying we want to come out now too and have our place um but you know to do that um and to include them, it might be necessary to ter change the terminology a little bit. But I agree that it will be a long-term thing. There will be a lot of resistance, as a, there has been in other instances. But I do think that uh, you know that, that people should be able to say what they want within uh, reasonable limits. I don't think they should be abusive, mm. but they should be able to say whatever they like. Do Do you feel in this case, uh, Jordan Peterson should be? Um, addressing people in the no. way they wish to be addressed. Yes. Well, no, not if he doesn't want to, as long as it's okay. not, what, it, what he's saying is not hurtful. Um, but if, if... You don't uh, think he should be forced to... No, absolutely not. And I think that if the treatment that he's had, if, if all that is true, um, is disgraceful and uh, it shouldn't have happened. OK. Um, what's your... You know, how, how much noise has this been making in, in Canada well, first, he's got nothing to do with Andrea Williams, so we can maybe start there. <laughs> Second of all, you know, as you said, he's 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 not a Christian, um, and he is raising the point that actually I've been trying to make for the last half hour here that 
uh, he's talking about the social justice movement, this radicalist movement that was stimulated in the middle part of the 20th century and made its way through the universities, that is trying to... You know, Gramsci said that uh, the grammar is a political act. How you use grammar... Uh, is actually political. And um, this man is a very intelligent man. He recognises that. And uh, he does not believe that one's thoughts or words should be dictated by an invasive state. Now, the context for this in Canada is that um, Bill C-28, the trans bill, um, is looking at uh, uh, sending people to prison for up to two years for hate speech, uh, where this idea of of of, um, uh, of transphobia would become part of the criminal code itself, so that would mean pastors and leaders like myself, who currently have no protection anyway under the law from somebody's feelings being hurt. And notice, Mr. Gareth Lee as well. His complaint was his feelings were hurt because they didn't bake him his cake. Um, you know, if it gets to the point where we can't speak. We can't express our views, we can't express our convictions, we can't express our secularistic, humanistic, Hindu, Christian or whatever opinions um, because it might hurt somebody's feelings and because their feelings are hurt I might be hauled before a court of human rights. And, uh, you know, I remember Patrick Stewart uh, was interviewed on this issue of the Ashes case. Um, and he thought it had cost him 500 quid. Interestingly enough, he is a, he's, a, he's a, well, very much on the, 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 the left atheist, yeah. and an atheist. But he was in support also after examining the case of the, of the Ashes freedom as well. And that this was an uh, over, overreach of a, an increasingly totalitarian drift. And Dr. Peterson has identified this. Toronto is very radical. Canada is very radical on these issues. In fact, Bill 16, going through the Ontario provincial uh, parliament at the moment is trying to abolish the very idea of mother and father in the law on all the legal documentation so that you could have up to four people unrelated by blood entering into a contract to be the parents of a child and this is just to facilitate homosexual lgbt radicals and so uh these things that are now being forced on people like dr peterson who may well yet be hauled before a human rights tribunal who would then potentially be fined if he doesn't pay he'll be put into prison he said he'll go on a hunger strike in order to express personal liberty and freedom. And as I say, liberty presupposes inequality. If people are free to say things, to do things in, uh, within the bounds of a reasonable understanding of the law, historical law in this country, and f uh, in terms of freedom of conscience and religious liberty, um, uh, if we if we lose that, then we really are we've we've moved into a position where we've accepted actually a very ancient and pagan understanding of the state. How different is this to what was going on in national socialism within Germany, or the uh, communism uh, within the Soviet Union, where people start to be dictated how they are to think, how they are to say, what words they must use to talk about different issues. This is all. It's very very dangerous. Okay. Terry, do. You Agree with any this time? Well, I, I, I'd go along with most <laughs> of that, but I, the, as soon as we get the Nazis involved, I, I, I begin to uh, pull back because I think that it it is okay in certain situations for people to say we would like you to talk about these people in this way, but in your private life, you should be able to say what the hell you like. You know, you really should be able to to say anything at all in mm. in the privacy of your own home. Um, and most of us do. Peterson's a university professor, though, isn't he? So yeah. That... So the university has its its policies, and no doubt he, he obeys most of them. He doesn't want to obey this one, and I would probably support him. Uh, but you know, I, I agree with you that being offended 
is not a good enough reason to go to, to law. And we do find, uh, you know, particularly with a, a lot of these uh, radical Muslims, they will shut down conversations. Immediately you try to, to engage with them by saying, that's very offensive, and that's the end of it. They, they will not engage. And I, I've seen it with some Christians as well. Well, I'm pleased we found a point of agreement mm-hmm. between you both <laughs> at the end of this show um, as, we, as we're coming towards the end. I mean, th- th- another example that sprung to mind, again, not with a Christian dimension to it specifically, but uh, the the young um, British athlete uh, the the um, who was involved in the gymnastics team Louis Smith Louis Smith that's it uh, who was censured really by by the athletics organisation for um, a video where he sort of appeared to mock Islam and so on now um, I suspect um, you are actually in favour of those who said this this is ridiculous that people yeah, can we, be... Yeah, we, we actually wrote to the Athletics Association in support of Louis Smith because he did make a grovelling apology. He went to a mosque, he apologised, he did all the things that they asked of him, uh, and still the Athletics Association said, you know, that's not good they enough. They penalised him yeah, for it. And, and he was suspended. Uh, but even even the imams at the mosque said we're not offended so, so by this. So you're, you're a bit worried then, actually, Terry, that... Um, there is a line which gets crossed when yeah, people sen- are so sensitive yeah. to, to as, as you know, uh, we were just seeing from Joe, sensitivities being and feelings being hurt. Mm. And, and you want to see a strong freedom of expression. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the few cases we've had of uh, street preachers being arrested um, and, uh, you know, taken to court... Uh, we've we've supported. You've them. generally been been yeah, on the side we, of the street we, preachers. We've, we've in those actually cases. tried to support them as much as we can, right? Uh, because we know that if their free speech is curtailed, ours will be one day, right? Uh, so you know, we you've got to have free speech as, as far as it will go. Yeah. No, and I, hate and I believe you guys were also on the side of um, the the Northern Irish um, Presbyterian. Uh, well, the minister who made yeah. the comments that upset some Muslims yeah. and so on. I mean, he he Dr. said James from his McConnell. pulpit that that. Uh, Islam was an evil religion, um, and he was taken to court, and and it was regarded. As, uh, we thought it was ridiculous. I mean, not only, not only was it his opinion, and he said it in the proper place to say it, um, but you know the, the the idea that he should go to court over that. Um, and fortunately, he was acquitted. But I think uh, we we did we did support him, although we we disagree with just about everything else. Sure, he says. sure, um, absolutely. Um, I, so in in that sense sometimes the mm-hmm. the the secular society is an unlikely bedfellow with people like um, Christian yeah, concern I think and there's others. Been, there's been um, occasions where certain comedians in this country and so forth uh, have have recognized that uh, with some of this uh, human rights legislation in inverted commas uh, that their freedom even to tell jokes and to uh, and to engage in ordinary poking of fun and humor mm. um, is something that would be prescribed and so therefore they've engaged with it what concerns me is that there's just a lack of consistency that we would get to this point where the social constructions and they are just social constructions because there's no idea of creational law or creational order here in, the, in this perspective, in the LGBTI uh, perspective. These social constructions could be foisted and forced upon society and then people made to support them. I mean, Terry hasn't really answered the question, notwithstanding that point of agreement, mm. whether um, a Muslim bakery should be forced to um, 
uh, uh, say, bake a cake, promoting the eating of uh, pigs, or whether they should be uh, forced to publish um, the cartoons of Muhammad, because that's the logical... That's, that is completely logical. Under this yeah, law, yeah, to be yeah. consistent, if the justice mm, is going to be mm. consistent, they would have to, they would have to do that. Yeah. So it's this socially constructed reality that's being forced on people mm. that concerns and, us. And your view is that... This oversteps a line of, of personal conscience. Absolutely. Um, where, where a Christian who doesn't want to bake that cake doesn't have to bake that cake. Absolutely. Uh, an atheist who doesn't want to bake a cake celebrating young earth creationism doesn't have Absolutely. To, to bake no, a cake. No Christian would want to see a, a, an atheist baker forced to, 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 to make a pro-Christian cake or something. I mean, it's just, it's, it's absurd that but we... You, but, so, so do you feel then, we're, we're coming back to the Ashes Bakery here, um, do you... Do you th- do you think that all of those should be made to bake the cakes because they're offering a public service? But it, it isn't a Christian bakery. It's a bakery. Okay. The proprietors happen to be Christian. A lot of the staff are not. And uh, I found the judgment here, and uh, it says... Uh, the court said it was not suggested that there was any approbation of the message on the face of the cake, and the trial judge concluded that what he re- what the respondent wanted did not require them to promote a gay marriage. The fact is that a baker provides a cake for a particular football team or portrays witches on a Halloween cake does not indicate any support for either. And, you know, the, the, this cake was produced by a commercial organisation. I'm sure they produce all kinds of cakes. And they've just produced a cake. And it, the fact that they don't agree with it or that the proprietors don't agree with it is neither here nor there. It's a cake that they, we'll, they we'll, said we'll they would We'll come back bake. for a response from Joe in a moment. We're talking about uh, the Ashes Bakery. We'll come back to the Ashes Bakery uh, in this point in Unbelievable. Um, today, uh, though, we'd, we've been discussing adoption of children by people who don't agree with same-sex marriage. We've been talking about the Canadian professor refusing to use gender-neutral pronouns. And uh, probably there's all manner of other stories and instances we could uh, we could number as well. Uh, perhaps you've got a view on it. Be interested to hear from you as well uh, as we go into the final part of our program in just a moment's time. Uh, keep it here if you can with unbelievable. I'm Justin Briley. Read all about it. God delusion books withdrawn from sale following Richard Dawkins conversion. Only kidding. In our April edition of Premier Christianity magazine, we look at fake news, alternative facts and how Christians should act in a post-truth society. Plus, we speak to best-selling DJ Moby about how a skinny teetotal vegan with a Christian faith conquered the world of dance music. Dr. Calvin Samuel looks at slavery in the Bible and three female converts from atheism tell their story of walking in the footsteps of C.S. Lewis. All that plus much more. Get a free copy at Premier Christianity Good afternoon and welcome back to Unbelievable for the third and final part of today's show. After Unbelievable, between four and five, you can hear the profile. Sam Hale today in conversation with Moby. He's a best-selling DJ, dance artist, um, had a huge worldwide hit with his album Play back in 1999. And he's got an interesting Christian faith as well. Uh, If you want to read that interview as well, it's in the latest edition of Premier Christianity magazine. If you go to our website, it's up on the main page and you can get a free sample copy, of course, of Premier Christianity magazine by simply asking for one at our website premierchristianity.com 
com slash free sample if you want to listen back to the profile perhaps you're listening to to unbelievable on podcast you can actually get the profile now as a podcast too uh, again premierchristianradio.com slash the profile to find links to where you can listen to it and download it as a podcast um lots to tell you about unbelievable the conference coming up uh, after we've heard the final part of today's discussion this year's conference promises to be bigger and better than ever and uh, i've got a uh, the audio of a promo video that we've made recently um, about Bertrand Russell. He wrote an essay 90 years ago this year called Why I Am Not a Christian. Well, in many ways, this conference this year and my, the book that I'm launching at it is, is my response to Bertrand Russell, you could say. Um, so listen out for that a bit later on in the programme. Some of your feedback, of course, to recent editions of the show coming up as well. And next week on the programme, if you can come back for our Easter edition of the show, we'll be asking... Did Jesus die on the cross? This is going to be an Islamic and Christian view of the crucifixion in dialogue. And uh, we're going to be hearing from James White. He's going to be our Christian guest in conversation with South African Muslim apologist Yusuf Ishmael. So that's what to look out for on your podcast or on the radio station next week uh, for our Easter weekend edition of Unbelievable. You can get in touch with the show, of course, and leave me your thoughts. Uh, unbelievable at premier.org.uk. Uh, also find us online, premierchristianradio.com slash unbelievable. To leave your thoughts underneath today's show, share it on with others find links to the podcast and of course this year's unbelievable conference and uh, you can email as well if you'd like to get hold of flyers for this year's conference and um, perhaps distribute some at your church i've got a whole stack up on my desk i'm happy to mail some out uh, if your local church would like to have some flyers to let people know about this year's conference on saturday the 13th of may um, so uh, i'll be telling you a bit more about what the theme of the conference is later on in today's program right now time to get into the final part of today's discussion You're listening to Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio. Well, concluding our programme today, uh, we've been asking, uh, when it comes to things like gay cakes and transgender pronouns, are Christians free to express their faith in the public sphere? Uh, Dr. Reverend Dr. Joseph Boot is the founding pastor of Westminster Chapel in Toronto, goes by Joe most of the time, though. And uh, he's over uh, here in the UK. He's going to be taking part in a day conference on Saturday, the 22nd of April. Uh, it's called Our God Reigns. It's very much um, dealing with the kinds of issues we've been looking at today and how Christians should position themselves and act and work in the world when, um, for many people at least, there appears to be an increasing um, a problem with expressing orthodox Christian perspectives on sexuality, family and other things. Uh, and so um, we've been talking about some of these specific cases, Joe, with uh, our other guest here, Terry Sanderson from the National Secular Society. And, and in that last section, Terry was saying that coming back to the case of the Ashes Bakery, who um, were fined for not baking this cake with the slogan, um, support gay marriage, um, that was judged to be something they should have offered, um, sort of a, in terms of equal opportunities and so on. Uh, and uh, yes, uh, in the, Terry says a quote unquote Muslim bakery should bake whatever they're asked to bake under the terms that they lay out because there's no such thing actually as a Muslim bakery. It's just a bakery. And um, when you're when you're a public service like that, you just have to provide things, uh, mm. you know, as as the law requires. So mm. what's your comeback on that? Well, 
uh, people and workers are not abstractions simply because they have an LTD after their name. You can't abstract people from their work, from their livelihoods, from the things that they're doing. It's, it's an absurd to even suggest so. I mean, what if you were required, for example, to make T-shirts um, and your company makes T-shirts, but you, you're forced to put a pro-Nazi uh, message on the T-shirt? That's what the, the people hiring you want you to do. Those T-shirts are going to have your trademark, your label inside them. Um, so you cannot, this idea that you can abstract people and their most basic freedoms and liberties uh, from a, a service or a business mm. or whatever mm. is absurd, any more than you could do it with clothes or guns or food or anything else, and that people should not be forced by force of equalities law to do things like that. And I think it's very dangerous uh, to, to move in that direction. In general, uh, the issue today for me is about... Whether people are Christians or not, most people of common sense look at these issues, and I uh, and and it's not just you know the, the the Christian Legal Centre in the UK. These cases are all over Canada. They're all over the human rights tribunals in Canada. They're all over the US. Uh, businessmen uh, being thrown off boards in California because they put money into the uh, um, uh, Proposition Eight campaign or whatever. Mm. Um, so this is a Western phenomena right now, and if we don't speak out, in the end, uh, we'll lose the right to, to, to say or do anything in this regard. Now, it's not because Christians lack compassion, and I would want to, you know, as my last thought, mm. you know, I wouldn't want people listening to leave, or even Terry to leave today and think, well, these Christians, they lack compassion and concern for these people. From a theological point of view, and I'm speaking now as a Christian, mm. the motivation behind these things is that immorality, whatever it may be, but especially these issues where we're seeing in the press, which for Christians concern sexual immorality, produce the problem of guilt and shame. And guilt and shame, when it's left undealt with, uh, becomes intolerable for people to live with. It's very difficult to live with. Now, Christians come to the cross of Christ and they find atonement there and they come to the communion table many weekly and find atonement and forgiveness. Their guilt and shame is dealt with. But if you can't take it to Christ, where can you take it? What's happening is we're developing our culture a rationalization so that you can, if you're not justified by Christ, you justify yourself. So that sin is now righteousness. Mor immorality is now the new morality. That's the rationalization. Now, for that rationalization to hold and for people not to feel guilt and shame, everybody has to agree with it. People have to be forced in that sense to agree with it, because otherwise you risk the possibility that the culture, the church perhaps, or Christians, will rebuke that behavior, and then guilt and shame again is uh, very much, again, part of that person's life. And so the, the, the motivation behind a lot of this is, is not because I think these people hate Christians as such. They're trying to deal with their own guilt and shame, which we all have to deal with. Here it's being dealt with with the idea that, well, we'll create a rationalization that justifies ourselves. And if we make everybody agree with the rationalization, then we will feel justified. If we teach children in kindergarten about LGBT issues like that we're doing in Toronto, by force of law, if we uh, make uh, make people force bakers to bake these pro uh, uh, messages, if we tell people mm. that really it's almost abnormal to have a, uh, a normal marriage relationship and it's better for, for two men to look after children, that if everybody's made to agree with that, we can feel justified. We understand that. I understand that as a Christian. I just want to point people to Christ and to forgiveness and redemption and renewal and that we cannot sacrifice liberty and freedom for this radical agenda. Okay. Terry? How, how do you want to well, finish just, things Well, first up? of all, to say that nobody can be forced to print a Nazi T-shirt because Nazism is not a protected characteristic under the Equality Act. 
But going on from that, I mean, you know, we're talking here about Christians do this and Christians think that. An awful lot of Christians do not agree with this this approach that you're taking of bringing all these legal cases. If I can quote Don Horrocks of the Evangelical Alliance, he said, it's counterproductive to provoke the courts into unnecessary and unhelpful rulings, especially when a case is weak and evidence is lacking. There may also be risks that Christians will be viewed as deliberately engineering conflicts with the courts or pleading privileged treatment. And that, to me, is what it's all about. He's seen that. He's seen that there are are some Christians, some evangelical Christians, with a very, very strong feeling that they're being persecuted, which is actually paranoia on their part. Huge numbers of Christians in this country do not support that. And we should not go down the road of imagining that you are speaking for Christians because I do not think you are. Well, these are all precedent-setting, and that's why they have to be fought in the courts. If they're allowed, these things are just allowed to go on, that will get to the point where freedoms not, not spoken, freedoms not used are soon lost. That's the lesson of all authoritarianism in history. We're going to draw a close to it there thank you both gentlemen for being on it was uh, it was quite the bruising encounter this week but um i appreciate i, I did put a bit of space between you and <laughs> but no it, I, you, I, I, I neither I, of us are violent I no, indeed indeed um but anyway uh, i expected you to disagree you certainly did and and thank you for both being in the studio with me today if you want to get in touch about today's show i'll give you the way to get in touch again in just a moment's time be interested in your response to this why not email in or send me your thoughts via social media or the website if you want to listen back to today's program premierchristianradio.com slash unbelievable uh, don't forget that uh, you can also find out more about the conference our god reigns that uh, joe is taking part in uh, look that up on the christian concern website or um, uh, or well i'll make sure there are links posted from today's show uh, secularism.org.uk for the national secular society gentlemen both thank you for being with me thank you thanks Unbelievable with Justin Brierley. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, it was certainly uh, pretty sparky in various parts. And if you'd like to comment on that or indeed some of the issues that were debated and the cases that were under discussion, you can email me unbelievable at premier.org.uk. Find us on Twitter and Facebook as well, of course, at unbelievablejb for the Twitter, facebook.com slash unbelievablejb in order to follow the show page on Facebook and leave your courts there as well. Um, Before I uh, get into talking and playing a bit of the audio from a a video promo for this year's Unbelievable Conference, just a quick shout out to Ed Atkinson, friend of the show and uh, the person who convenes the Unbelievable Christian Skeptic Discussion Group in London every month. Uh, Emails in to say, we had a minor disaster with the discussion group a couple of weeks ago. Uh, The pub we were due to meet at had a major electrical fault and had to close. So we just had a social gathering in the pub just up the road. Fortunately, our speaker, Ben, Ben Watts has kindly agreed to speak at the next meeting now on Monday, the 10th of April. That's very soon. If you're listening in time, uh, do get along to it. It's uh, Monday, the 10th of April, 7.30pm. It's going to be on the topic that the last one was going to be on. Having doubts is apostasy principally a moral or spiritual lapse. So that's at Summerstown Coffee House, 60 Charlton Street, London. And again, Monday, the 10th of April, 7.30, if you want to get along to the Unbelievable Christian Skeptic Discussion Group in London. OK, uh, what about Unbelievable the Conference? Saturday, the 13th of May. Uh, really looking forward to this. It's going to be a fantastic day with many, many speakers uh, talking across a wide range of topics. Uh, we're going to be looking at 
subjects as, as diverse as engaging Islam, why God allows suffering, um, reaching young people. What about other religions? What stops people believing the evidence for Jesus? Dawkins hawking and the case for God. What do I do when God is silent? And more besides, um, it's an essential conference for whether you're a sort of seasoned apologist or someone who just wants to dip their feet in. There'll be something for everyone. The place to go is premier.org.uk slash whychrist to, uh, to book yourself your ticket. Uh, bring a group along, you'll get a group discount. Uh, and if you book two or more tickets, you get last year's conference on DVD and MP3 CD. And if you go along to the event page, you'll see a recent video we filmed promoting the conference. I'd love you to share it. It's available uh, from the Facebook page. It's available on YouTube as well. Um, do go to the event page to watch it. And here's some of the audio from it. And uh, you'll hear why I've tied in this year's conference to a famous atheist of 90 years ago. Before Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens or any of the new atheists were ever born, the most famous atheist of the early 20th century was philosopher and intellectual Bertrand Russell. In 1927, he gave a famous lecture titled Why I Am Not a Christian, outlining why he didn't believe in God, why humanity could trust its own moral path and why we certainly don't need a saviour like Jesus. His talk was turned into a booklet which sold many thousands of copies and was the prototype for every best-selling atheist book ever since. Ninety years have passed since Bertrand Russell told the world why he wasn't a Christian. But now it's time to tell the world why you are. A lot can change in 90 years. In 1927, we were yet to discover the extraordinary nature of our universe, its complexity and origins, which point to a cosmic designer. In 1927, Russell wouldn't have known that as societies cut themselves loose from Christian morality, he was standing on the precipice of the most bloody century humanity had ever witnessed. And Russell wouldn't have realised just how credible the evidence for Jesus, his resurrection and his claim to be the saviour of the world could really be. I'm the host of a weekly faith debate radio programme called Unbelievable and I hope you can join me for the show's 2017 conference on Saturday the 13th of May at the Brewery in London. 90 years on from Russell's famous lecture, I'll tell you why, after 10 years of talking with atheists, I'm still a Christian as I launch a new book telling the story of the show and my case for Christianity. I'm going to be joined by a lineup of brilliant speakers and thinkers, including Professor John Lennox of Oxford University on why God makes sense of science, Andy Bannister of Solar Centre for Public Christianity on engaging with atheism, evangelists Beth Grove and Sarah Foster on engaging with Islam, Jamie Cutteridge and Ruth Jackson on reaching young people, and we'll be joined by guests from our international conference partners, the Christian Thinker Society and Museum of the Bible. Come along to discover why Christ is the answer to life, the universe and everything. And find the confidence to tell the world why you are a Christian. Well, that's the audio from the video we've uploaded to promote this year's unbelievable conference. Uh, do check it out for yourself at the event page, premier.org.uk slash whychrist. Share it around on your social media. And if you can come yourself on Saturday, the 13th of May, even better. Premier.org.uk slash 
Why Christ? Let's undo some of your emails and messages that have come in via social media. Stephen Paul got in touch on Facebook to say the most benefit that I've ever received from listening to your program came today when answering questions my nine-year-old son had about science, faith, and the existence of God. Who would have known that the teleological argument could be adapted so easily that even children can understand it? Thanks for helping me teach my son how it's okay to be curious about the world, how things happen through science, and how it still makes sense to believe. Hope you guys are well. Justin、uh, Jesse in Norco, California, says Chris Date sent me this article about an atheist who became a Christian because he despaired non-existence. It'd be neat if you could get him on your show to share his story or debate another atheist. And the title of the piece is "Atheism Was an Error." English professor and atheist Mark Bowerlin converts to Christianity. That's at a website called Reasons for Jesus. I will check that out. Thanks for the tip, Jesse.、Uh, Cole says、um, we've spoken before. I do want to see. David Bentley Hart on your program again. Right now, he's working on the problem of consciousness with the John Templeton Foundation at the University of Notre Dame. Is it possible to get a debate between Hart and David Chalmers or Hart and Michael Roos? Thank you for the suggestion, Cole. Yes, I'd love to do something with David Bentley Hart on that topic. I think consciousness is is such an involved, interesting, and complex question, but one that I think is hugely interesting. Um, keep up the good work," says Jim Carpinelli, who got in touch via Facebook. Says I recently started listening to the show since hearing your interview on the Eric Metaxas show.、Uh, listening today, I found Peter Tatchell's typical posture about Christian abuses shallow, and appreciated the pushback you and Andy provided. So this is last week's program that we're referencing here.、Uh, Can atheists believe in human rights? That was Peter Tatchell, who was our atheist guest and a noted human rights campaigner, in conversation with Christian thinker Andy Bannister. Well, you go on to say, Jim. For quite some time, I found the atheistic reasoning, as it follows suit with Christopher Hitchens, quite offensive. Christians continue to do great work around the world, providing relief from pain and misery. And to my knowledge, I've only found one atheist relief organisation on the web. Are there other such agencies? For all of the hullabaloo from atheists, their protestations ring hollow. There doesn't seem to be any purely atheist group offering aid to people around the world. Am I wrong? Um, yeah, I guess there are very few or,、uh, humanitarian organisations, if any, that that、uh, congregate under a specifically atheist banner. I would imagine,、uh, Jim. Nonetheless, there are, of course, secular NGOs and relief agencies out there operating and doing very good work,、um, Médecins Sans Frontières, and so on. It could be that some of them are actually were actually established with with some kind of religious foundation, and then sort of were secularised over time, as has happened with organisations like the the Red Cross and so on. Um, and but and indeed, I'm sure many of them have people of faith working for them, and that being the motivation that gets them out. I guess you'd have to、uh, you'd have to go and look into that itself. But as far as I know, no. Unlike whereas you get do get obviously Christian aid agencies, humanitarian relief efforts. I don't believe you tend to find those so much under an atheist banner.、Um, there are of course atheist organisations like the British Humanists and National Secular Society who do. Work and campaign、um, for, in ways that, that bring relief to people, but I, I don't think they're specifically agencies that that、uh, work in that respect with with an atheist kind of、uh, banner.、Um, Paul、uh, gets in touch to say, "Great job by Andy Bannister." Peter Tatchell, like many secularists, can't seem to see that something invented can't be inherent, and something conferred by humans can't be inalienable. 
He also appeared to miss the fact that the Bible isn't intended to be a declaration of human rights, but rather the biblical worldview of humans made in God's image. And that actually gives the basis for such a thing. Uh, you also suggest Lee Strobel as a guest for the show, a movie about his search is coming out this weekend. Be great to have him on in discussion with someone about the case for Christ. Yes, it would, would be great to have Lee Strobel on at some point. I know he listens to the show every so often and um, that that movie is hitting theatres in the States. I don't know what kind of release it's going to get over here in the UK. But um, yes, we'll see what we can do in the future. Now, a few weeks ago, I had John Lennox in for an edition of the program. It was Ask John Lennox Anything. I fired a whole number of listener questions at him. And John, of course, is joining me for Unbelievable the Conference 2017 as our keynote speaker. Uh, and in one of the um, pieces of feedback that came back from that, Tom Rafferty got in touch to say he felt that despite really enjoying the way uh, John brings across his case for God, he still feels like it ultimately collapses into a God of the Gaps argument. I said something uh, on the back of reading that email by Tom uh, to say, oh, I'm not so sure. Uh, he got back in touch with me, Tom, uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, to say thanks for the usual kind and courteous presentation of my two recent letters in response to your podcast. Um, the following is a follow up to my last letter in response to John Lennox, in which I mentioned the God of the Gaps argument. Uh, religious people come to a point in a discussion regarding evidence for God and say something like, I see beauty, organisation and human consciousness and I've experienced God, therefore I think that there probably is a God. But how is such a probability statement supported? What is the denominator in the prob probability equation? Have you ruled out other hypotheses and how? All of this is science-based thinking. Faith-based thinking really is different. Where the former thinker would come to the end of such a discussion and say, I don't know, the latter makes the unsupported leap of faith known as the God of the gaps. I close by saying that science, Latin for knowledge, is truly the only way we know anything. All other conclusions outside of science are unfounded speculations that do not add to knowledge and usually lead to disagreement. Uh, Tom, thank you again for getting in touch and uh, appreciate all the points you make there. I, I do think there is a difference, though, in terms of the types of explanations we're, we're allowed to offer. Uh, and if scientific explanations are the only kind, I think we do tend to cut off a whole range of things. And indeed, as many have pointed out, it's a sort of self-defeating thing to say as well, to say that the only valid explanations are scientific ones. Uh, well, how would you, can you justify that statement itself scientifically then um, is the question. And I see it's hard to see how you would go about doing that. Um, and interesting, another Tom got in touch after he heard me responding to Tom Rafferty there uh, to say, um, I want to send feedback on your feedback to feedback. Yes, that is a terrifying subject line. Um, but this particular Tom says, I, I wanted to comment on how you fed back to that email. Um, they said that they'd thought John Lennox had used a God of the Gaps, uh, an argument from ignorance fallacy. And you tried to explain that you viewed Lennox's position as more of a God of the explanations and therefore you disagreed with the writer's view. But I'm afraid this too is an argument from ignorance or a God of the Gaps argument. Uh, I've always found the easy way to test if something is an argument from ignorance is to ask this simple follow-up question. How? If an answer cannot be tested and verified, then regardless of how much you feel it explains, it explains nothing. And you go on to give the example of, of how a rainbow is formed and saying the only 
true explanation is uh, a scientific one that can show how something happens. So I actually uh, replied to you, as you'll know, Tom, if you're listening, and uh, this was my response. Asking how is certainly important, but I think you're presupposing that a how question must always have a physical or material explanation. But of course, we can distinguish between material causes and other causes to do with will and purpose. So when I get up in the morning, I can give the explanation that my brain sent electrical messages to the muscles in my legs and so on, and that was the cause of me arising from my bed. But I could also give an equally true explanation involving my will and purpose. I need to go to work, uh, which are not so easily collapsible into materialistic explanations. And uh, some types of explanations certainly are best expressed mechanistically, you know, how a rainbow appears. But I think you'll have a harder time explaining why a particular person finds a rainbow beautiful. Um, I'd also disagree that we need to know how a proposed explanation works for it to be a true explanation, you know, just as uh, I can infer there was an intelligent agent behind some pictures on a cave wall i i don't necessarily have to know all about them in order to see that there's design at work there um and i again even if i can't give you a mechanistic explanation of how the universe was brought into being i can still posit that there is a designer behind it a transcendent designer and in the end we're, we're always searching for the best explanation i have to line the god explanation up next to competing explanations such as unguided naturalistic forces to explain many things in life and i just don't find that they have adequate explanatory power i suppose um you also um talked in your email about a god and allah how would you distinguish between which of these is doing the creating or whatever well in many ways many of the evidences for god merely affirm a creator of some kind and they aren't meant to be a complete proof for christianity so yes it could end up being yahweh or allah but there are other aspects of experience that for me confirm the christian god is the god in question and not least the evidence for the life death and resurrection of jesus christ but good to hear from you thank you for getting in touch tom that's uh, all we've time for in terms of feedback so let me tell you what's coming up next week you're unbelievable it's going to be easter weekend we've got a debate on whether jesus died on the cross a christian and muslim view of the crucifixion with james white and yusuf ishmael until then have a great week Coming up next, The Profile. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share it with friends, but do not charge for or alter the material in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. Thank you.